The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. We are uh, continuing in our series, The Story, where we're going through the whole narrative of the Bible, and we're spending kind of from now until the summer, from basically from January till the summer, we're going to be covering the Old Testament. And so we're continuing this journey, and if you've been with us, you know that basically it starts off with God creating everything, and he says it's good, but humanity rebels. But pretty soon after that, God says, hey, I'm going to set forth a plan to redeem and restore people back to me, to redeem and restore my good creation back to me. And one of the ways that he does that is through a nation, the nation of Israel. And uh, we saw a couple weeks ago that he ends up delivering this nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And then last week we looked at, say, okay, so they're, they're delivered out of slavery in Egypt, and he takes them to Mount Sinai. And they, they kind of make their relationship official. They have the, the DTR, the define the relationship talk, right? And, and God, God lays down his law and they, they covenant together that he's going to be their people, or that they're going to be his people and he's going to be their God. And they're going to show the whole world who this God is. And so now where we're at in the story today in the text I read, the, the Israelites have actually been hanging out at Mount Sinai for like a little over a year. And so they've just been kind of sitting there, and God's presence is sort of hovering. Uh, but then all of a sudden, God is on the move. And they say, all right, game on, let's go. And so, so they start to follow God, and they, they're going to be going from Mount Sinai to Kadesh. And Kadesh is really the edge of the land that God has promised them. God said, hey, I'm going to give you this land, and Kadesh is the border. Now, I did some math this week, which is always dangerous. Um, but uh, the only math class I took was Numbers. Uh, uh, uh. All right, it's a book of the Bible. All right, um, we just read from it. Uh, anyway, so, uh, so Mount Sinai to Kadesh is about 150 miles, give or take. And so here comes the math. Uh, you figure if, if they can travel around 13 miles a day, it takes them about 11 days to get to the promised land. That's about, about the journey. 11 days to get from Mount Sinai to the border of God's promised land for them. And the text we just read now, though, takes place three days into this journey. And so they're three days in this journey to the 11-day journey to the promised land, and they start complaining, right? It's the, the mom, are we there yet? It starts happening. But here's the deal. If you've ever backpacked before, you get this, right? I remember a couple years ago, I had the, the privilege of backpacking a part of Zion National Park with Gwen and Phil Holy and, and a, a few other folks from our mother church in, in Lakeway. And uh, the first day, we backpacked probably about 13 miles, maybe even a little more. And I remember we, we got to our, our campsite that night, and like, my feet had blisters on them, and my back was sore, and I was really hungry. Uh, but of course, I, I, I couldn't, you know, nurse my ailments, because I had to set up my demon tent and, and find clean water and like, and then I had to make a delicious meal of, of plain rice with dried salmon sprinkled on top, right? Like it, was, it was just a really great time. Um, and so I get it, right? Like if you've done this, you get why the Israelites are complaining. It makes sense. Traveling in the wilderness is hard, right? There was no REI back then. It's difficult. But what we see in our text is, is a pattern of behavior in the Israelites that turns this 11-day journey into a 40-year journey. All right, what we see in this text, let me say that again, is a pattern of behavior in the Israelites that turns an 11-day journey to the promised land into a 40-year journey. And so what's going on? Well, what we'll see in our text is that it's actually, it's not so much they're complaining 
that gets them in trouble. It's, it's their wandering hearts that cause them to wander physically for 40 years. It's their wandering hearts that cause them to wander physically for 40 years. And so as we dig through this text this morning, we're going to see three things that we can do when our hearts are prone to wander, as the great hymn puts it, uh, from the God who has delivered us. Three things we can do when our hearts are prone to wander. First of all, we can expect wanderings. We can open our eyes and we can take it to God. Expect wanderings, open our eyes, take it to God. And so let's go. Uh, look with me at verse 4. Expect wanderings says this. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. So this text says, the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. What is the rabble? Well, it's a, a Hebrewism uh, for a group of people that was traveling with the nation of Israel, but not actually part of the nation of Israel. And so they were probably folks that were also slaves in Egypt, just not part of the nation of Israel. And so they escaped with the Israelites, are hanging out with them, and they start having a craving. They say, I'm not satisfied with the way things are right now. I want something more. And so what we see is that this rabble, this community outside of God's covenant community, actually sets the stage for Israel to start complaining. They start the precedent for Israel to start complaining. And see, this is important for us to get. Because in many ways, the same things happen to God's people today. That we allow the outside world, we allow the culture to shape our expectations to shape how we think the world should work. And when it doesn't work out that way, our hearts begin to wander. We begin to complain. Uh, here's what I mean. Uh, those of you that are around my age, give or take, okay, those of you that are around my age, you know, you know this, right? We've been raised our entire lives being told by every source possible that we can be whatever we want, right? We can do it. If you can dream it, you can do it, right? That dreams really do come true. Can we just be honest? Like, it's just not true, right? Like, like, I, I'm, I, I'm not saying we shouldn't be optimists. I'm not saying we shouldn't strive for our dreams. That's all well and good, but can we just say, like, that's not realistic. Like, I am not going to start for the U.S. men's national team. It's not going to happen, and it probably wasn't going to happen when I was born, Look at this. It's not going to happen, right? Just gangly guy running around out there. It'd be a mess, right? I mean, the reality is life is hard. And life is filled with disappointment. It just is. There's just a reality to that. And so even though, you know, we've been rescued from slavery by, by Jesus and we're headed towards the promised land, the reality is the wilderness is still tough. The wilderness is still hard. But see, what happens is we get this subconscious belief built in us from our culture that everything's supposed to be hunky-dory. And so what happens is we Christianize that and we think, well, hey, if I'm just a good little boy, if I'm a good little Christian girl, if I, if I do my things, then my life will be relatively pain-free. Then I'll be able to skate by just fine. I'll miss out on hard times. And so then what happens is one of the best-selling books in Christian bookstores right now is titled what? Your Best Life Now. And no offense, Joel, but that's a little silly. It's a little silly. I mean, the founder of our faith was nailed to a cross. Where do you think following him leads? 
the people that were closest to him, his first followers, the ones that, that followed him closest, died premature and torturous deaths. All of them. They lost everything. Now listen, I'm not advocating for pessimism here either, but I think especially as Christians, we should expect hardship. Like it's going to happen. The, the wilderness is tough. It's a reality. And we need to recognize, though, the reason why we need to recognize this is that in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of those hard times, that's when our hearts are most prone to wander. That's when our hearts are prone to wander. And we see this throughout the New Testament. We see it with Jesus. As he heads to the cross, he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, God, if you can do anything else, if there's any other way, if this cup can pass from me, would you let it? And we see it with his closest friend, with Peter. When someone comes up and says, hey, do you know Jesus? And he knows his association with Jesus is going to get him in trouble. And so he says, hey, no. No, I don't know that guy. He lets his heart wander. And we see this throughout the New Testament that St. Paul, again and again in his letters, writes after he's imprisoned and beaten and stoned. He writes about how hard it is to keep his heart from despairing. And then even in, in modern times, many people were shocked to find out that in the face of grueling poverty and countless deaths she witnessed, that Mother Teresa had many moments of doubt, had many moments of despair. So in the face of hardship, expect your heart to wander. It happens. It happens. But here's the thing. It's what you do with those wanderings that makes the difference. It's what you do with those wanderings that makes the difference. Look with me at verses 5 and 6. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up. And there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. And so the Israelites experience some hard times. They start to complain, but what do they do with their complaints? They say, hey, remember the fish we ate in Egypt. They look back on Egypt. They long for a place where they were slaves. Yeah, the fish was free because you were a slave. They want to go back to slavery. Things get tough in the wilderness, and they want to go back. What's that about? Here's what it's about. Uh, so I was talking with my dad uh, earlier this week about this text, um, as one does. And, uh, and um, you know, Packer season is over, so we, like, he and I have two conversation topics, Packers and theology. So here we are. Uh, and so, so he and I are talking about this text, and I'm like, Dad, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to unpack this and, and, and lay it out here. And, and I said, you know, what do you think is going on at this verse? And uh, my dad has been a pastor for like 35 years, super, super smart guy. And he says this to me. He says, Gabe, this is what's going on. He says, Gabe, delivering people out of slavery is an event. Delivering slavery out of people is a process. Get that? Delivering people out of slavery is an event. Delivering slavery out of people is a process. And so what's he saying? That the Israelites are these folks who've been powerfully set free by God. They're no longer slaves, and yet they're longing to go back to be slaves. Why? Because the slavery hasn't been worked out of them. And so in their heads, man, it may not have been great, but at least it was familiar. It may not have been great, but it seems better than this stuff. And we get this, right? This is why the battered woman goes back to her boyfriend. 
This is why the addict returns to the substance. And this is why in the face of hardship, your heart is prone to go back to whatever it is that enslaves you. And for some of you, that may actually be an abusive relationship. It may actually be uh, a substance. But for many of you, my guess is it's probably more subtle than that. That when things get hard and you're, you're prone to wander, you're prone to go back to those things that enslave you. It's perhaps not quite as obvious. Maybe you just turn inward and you cut yourself off from others. Or maybe when things get hard and your heart's prone to wander, you say, well, I at least have to have some control in my life. And so you just start working crazy hours. Or maybe when things are hard, you just constantly fret and you constantly worry because that's going to fix it. Or maybe you find security by, by being the first to attack, the first to lash out on others, or to sit back and judge others quietly in your heads who don't see things the way you do. Whatever it is, it may not be great, but at least it's familiar. When things get hard, your heart has this tendency to go back to those things that enslave it. Delivering people out of slavery is an event. Delivering slavery out of people is a process. And if we get that, like if we let that really sink into our lives, that truth, uh, that's actually going to affect us in two ways. There's going to be two really positive results of that. The, the first one is, it's going to teach us to be patient with those who wander. Because slavery being delivered out of people is a process. And so it's going to teach us to be patient with those who are wandering, who are figuring things out. I remember uh, one of the first house calls I ever had. Uh, I was working as a, a vicar uh, at a church in, in Minnesota, and a, a vicar is like a pastoral intern. Uh, it is Latin for substitute, so I always like to think of it in basketball terms. It's kind of like you're the sixth man, right? It's like, hey, the five started, and I let the rookie get a shot. So that's, that's kind of the idea. And, uh, and so I was doing that, and um, I'm in Minnesota, and, and I went to uh, this, this recovery meeting, and, and the guy playing drums for worship that night, his name was Andy, and I went up to him afterwards, and I said, hey, man, you know, I play drums too, and, and we talked about it, and I said, hey, do you want to um, play sometime? He said, sure. And so he and I set up a time, and, and I was going to go to his place, and we were, we were going to jam um, sometime the next week. And so I go to his house, and I knock on the door, and uh, no response. All right, so I go back, and I, I sit on my car, and I start to text him, and just then, uh, his neighbor comes out. Now, I didn't know his neighbor at all, but his neighbor knew me, and he goes, oh, Vicar, you're here. Good, the church sent you over. And I said, what are you talking about? I said, I'm just here to play drums. And he said, oh, well, uh, Andy's inside, and he's on something, and just basically out of his mind right now. And his parents called me. They're out of town. They told me to tell him that he's kicked out of the house. And so I'm glad you're here because then you can take care of him after I tell him this. I was like, dude, I'm just here to play drums, man. Like, I just, this is not good. Uh, and I was like, all right, fine. So, so I go in and, uh, and here's Andy, this dude I've seen one other time in my life. And he's, he really is, tragically, was, was out of his mind, was just in his boxers shouting about something. And, uh, and I remember the, the neighbor went up to him and said, Andy, your parents told me to tell you that you're kicked out of the house, uh, so pack your stuff up. When you leave, drop the key off at my house. Vicar Gabe's here to counsel you. And then he pats me on the back and goes, good luck, Vicar, and walks out. And I was like, at this point, I've had like one counseling class and like no knowledge of substance abuse at all. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't do much that first day. Uh, I sat with him for like an hour uh, and made sure that he, you know, was going to make it and, and was okay. Uh, and then that was kind of it. But I saw him the next week at, at the recovery meeting, and I said, hey, man, let's, let's play drums next week, but this time maybe let's meet at the church. And, uh, and he said, yeah. And so he came by, and he and I 
for a year, played drums together for an hour every week. And then from that relationship, uh, we, we started worshiping together, and, and we started a, a, a Bible study for, for young men. And I got to see God just really work on him throughout that year. And, and, and he wasn't perfect through all of that, and certainly neither was I. But delivering slavery out of people is a process. It takes time. It calls us to be patient. It calls us to be patient and let God's Spirit do his work. Delivering slavery out of people is a process. And not only does that teach us to be patient with others, but it also teaches us to be honest about it in our own lives. It teaches us to be honest about our own wanderings and to let God's Spirit do His work on us. And there's two things we see in our text that help us do that, okay? Uh, and the first one that we do to let God's Spirit do its work on us is to open our eyes. You guys look with me, with me at verses 7 through 9. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance like that of bedelium. The people went about and gathered it and ground it in hand mills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. All right, now this set of verses, it seems sort of random in the story. Like if you've been reading along, we already know that God's providing manna for the people. That's already been established. It's already going on. And so why did the author of the text choose to put this in here? Why is he in such great detail telling us about this bread from heaven? Here's why. To remind us that God is already providing for the Israelites. That they're whining and complaining, they're longing for fish and for slavery, and they completely fail to see that right in front of them, God is providing manna, literally bread from heaven miraculously every single day. They're failing to see that. Some commentators compare this bread, like you see it talks about how it's a cake. They compare it, they say it's, it's probably kind of like a cookie. A cook, that's providing cookies every single day. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Right? So the author wants us to see that instead of celebrating the fact that they've got as many tagalongs and Samoas as they can eat, right? We all know those are the best and frozen thin mints, Right? Uh, instead of the sweet bread of God, they want the dried fish of slavery. See, their eyes aren't open to what God's doing. And so often, when our hearts wander, that's because our eyes aren't open to what God's doing. So when your heart wanders, let me tell you this, open your eyes. Look at what God is doing in your life. And as, as cliche as it sounds, count your blessings. Really do it. Because as sure as I am that the wilderness is hard, I am equally sure that God blesses and cares for us. And so we open our eyes to it. That's what we need to do. I remember when Melissa and I were first married, and uh, we were living uh, in St. Louis, and I was still in seminary, and we were living in uh, an apartment, I think literally is probably smaller than this stage, and, um, and we were eating food from a food bank, and we just had like no money. I was mowing lawns. She was working at a coffee shop, and, um, and I get kind of grumpy about it sometimes. Be like, God, you know, I'm going to be a pastor. Like, you just hook a brother up, you know, and, and it just wasn't happening, and, uh, and then I'd get like a check in the mail, and it'd be this, this little note from some random old ladies group in the middle of nowhere, Illinois, uh, and it was like 40 bucks, and it would just be like, hey, the seminary told us you're studying to be a pastor. We hope it's going well. Here's some money to help you out. 
And so, and that's really nice, but if, if I'm honest, like my gut reaction was like, thank you, but like your $40 isn't really going to make a dent in the $40,000 student loans that I'm pulling out right now, right? Like, come on. But because my mom raised me right, I started to write a thank you note every time I got one of these checks. And as I'd write these thank you notes, it was like the most spiritual experience for me because God would just open my eyes and say, do you see what these ladies are doing? They don't even know you, but they're just being generous. Do you see how I'm just providing for you through these people? Do you see how this is actually putting food on your table right now? And I'd, I'd get a little misty, you know? I'm like, wow, this is amazing. God is, is just caring for me. He's providing for me through, my, through his people. See, sometimes we just have to stop and open our eyes. Stop. Open your eyes. See what God's already doing. Count your blessings. But lest we think that simply living out a platitude will help our wandering hearts, look with me at what happens next in our text. Verses 10 through 14. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? That you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give to their fathers? Where am I to give me, get meat to give to all these people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. I don't know if you ever read that text before pretty awesome. Because Moses, what happens? He hears the people whining. He hears the people complaining. And how does he react? He gets ticked. He gets ticked. And he goes straight to God. And he says, God, why did you do this to me? Why did you bring these people on into my life? Why have you placed this burden of leadership on me? God, why have you done this? He says, God, why don't you just kill me already? I'm over this. And guess what? He's exactly right to do that. He's exactly right to talk to God. Because you see what happens? It's the, the author's showing us two parallel accounts here. The Israelites complain, and they turn their hearts towards Egypt, towards slavery. Moses complains, and he turns his heart towards God. Sets his heart towards God in the midst of his hardship. And what you see, if you were actually to read the next set of verses, is that God responds to Moses. And by God's power, by his spirit, he actually delegates the leadership out to a bunch of people. And he takes some of the burden off of Moses. He hears Moses' complaints, he hears his cries, and he actually helps him. He actually responds and empowers these leaders to help Moses take care of the people. See, Moses is a human. He's he's like us. His heart is, is prone to wander in the midst of hardship, but instead of longing for slavery, he turns to God. Instead of being sucked back into those things that would enslave him, he turns to God. He gets honest with God. He just lays it all out there for him. And so I want to ask you, have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? Have you ever gotten honest with God? In the midst of hardship, in the midst of a trial, in the midst of a time when your heart's prone to wander, have you ever just laid it out before God and said, God, I don't like this. Have you said, God, why, why is this happening? 
said, God, my, my heart's prone to wander right now. I'm tempted to turn away, God. God, this is really hard. Why is this happening? Have you ever just gotten that honest with God? I just like laid it all out there for him. See, I think people will come up to me and say, Pastor, you know, I just like, I don't feel close to God. I don't, I don't feel his presence. And I think sometimes we have a hard time experiencing intimacy with God because we aren't ever totally honest with God. And see, if you find yourself as a person whose heart is prone to wander frequently, perhaps it's because your heart has never been fully engaged with God. We always like to put these fronts up before God in case, like, like you can't see it anyways, right? But we see here with Moses, man, you just lay it out there before him. And so friends, can I tell you, like, be honest with God. Like, place your wandering hearts in him. He can take it. He can. And he wants to. And he will. And here's how I know that. 2,000 years ago, Jesus of Nazareth was baptized in the Jordan River. When he was baptized, God's voice spoke and said, This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And immediately after that, God's spirit led Jesus out to the wilderness. Where Jesus didn't have manna from heaven to eat. He didn't have any food to eat. He didn't have anything to drink. And he wandered there, no food, no drink, for 40 days in the wilderness. And he wasn't just tempted by hardship, but he was tempted by the devil himself. But despite his grueling circumstances, he didn't let his heart wander from God. And in fact, Jesus let his heart be solely focused on God, so much so that it ultimately led him to the cross. And on the cross, the most bizarre thing of all happened. He kept his heart on God, but he experienced God's heart removed from him. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because on the cross, Jesus became sin for you. So that you might know a right relationship with God. And so because Jesus experienced God's absence you can fully come into his presence with everything you got. Because Jesus experienced God's absence, you can fully come into his presence. I love how the author of Hebrews puts it. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, I don't think I can say it better than that, right? Like that's, that's my prayer for you all, that, that is in the midst of hardship, as your hearts maybe begin to wander, that you'd open your eyes, that you'd see what God has done for you in Jesus and that you would have full access to him. And that you can come to him completely. With full confidence and receive his mercy and his grace. Let's do that right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus. That, 
that he would experience your absence, despite his perfection, would experience your absence, that we might be able to enter into your presence. That when our hearts are prone to wander, when hardship faces us, when the wilderness is tough, we can lay it all before you. And you hear us, and you respond in love. God, teach us to do that. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.